Good morning once again. We give our kids a round of applause one more time. They did a good job this morning. So we're glad to have you kids in the service this morning. Adults, uh, this sermon is probably going to be directed towards the kids and you just need to come along for the ride, okay? Uh, The reality is most of us uh, would would prefer that most sermons are directed towards kids because then we would understand actually, uh, amen. Who said amen? Thanks for that. And um, so here we go. Do you realize that we live on one of the safest places in the planet? The United States is the safest place we could possibly live. Now, if you think about uh, what you see in the news and you think about things that you should be nervous and afraid of and all that goes into that, you understand that the reason why we have a hypersensitivity towards those things is because we live in a very safe place. Specifically, did you realize that Western New York, Williamsville, Amherst is the safest place in America? Actually, statistically, in the years 2000 through 2003, we were the number one safest place to live in America, here in Amherst, New York. Uh, There's a sign as you come into town, you'll see it. uh, We're we're proud, even though it's not current, we've fallen off, we're like in the top uh, little bit right now. In fact, in 2018, just so that you know, if you wanted to to be aware, uh, the number two safest place to live is Honolulu, Hawaii. Anyone want to... Be safe and move to Honolulu, yeah. Uh, Number one is Sunnyvale, California. So those are the two that this year, the safest possible places you could live in the United States. Uh, But Amherst is not far behind. So we live in a very safe place. Specifically, uh, 2018, that's this year, uh, WRK said, what are the safest neighborhoods in Buffalo? Here's the top five. Northwood Drive and Ayer Road. If you know where that is, that's right over here by suburban hospital, right? Uh, Tonawanda Creek Road and New Road. Am I getting into anyone's like backyard? Uh, That's up by uh, the NARC, the North Amherst Recreation Center, um, or the dog park over in that area. Uh, That's the number four. Number three is Maple Road and Young's Road. So that's like where Maple East and Maple West elementary schools are. We're getting closer. You see that? We're like even closer to where we are right at this moment. Number two is North Forest and Forest Hill Drive, so that's where like the Amherst Rec Center, Sheridan Drive, uh, Mill Middle School, all of that, very, very safe. Uh, The number one safest place in our area is Getzville and North Forest Acres, so that's like where Heim Middle is and the UB like jogging path, that edge of the the creek there. Like, so we literally live not only in uh, the safest place in the world, we live in the safest city in that country and then even the safest area within that city within the country. So you understand like the context of where we live and how blessed we are uh, to live here. But did you know that there are uh, Christians being persecuted because of the gospel all around the world? We don't realize it because we live here sometimes that, that we live in a very safe place but there are places around the world who are not as safe. Uh, Church historians actually say that um, more Christians are being persecuted for their faith in the last 100 years than in all prior centuries of the church. And so if you've heard about the Crusades, kids, or if you've heard about different times that it was really unsafe for people to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to abide in Christ, uh, it's actually worse now globally. 
Um, if you just Google, as I did this week, persecution of Christians, uh, and look for some of the more recent articles, uh, here's a few that pop up. Christian persecution and genocide is at its worst, uh, was the title of Newsweek, January 4th, 2018. The article goes on to talk about the persecution and genocide of Christians across the world is worse today than any other time in history, and Western governments are failing in their attempts to stop it. Uh, another article, uh, this is out of Business Insider, January 11th, 2018. Uh, Chinese authorities demolish a Christian megachurch, sparking fears in China. So Chinese authorities demolished a well-known Christian megachurch, highlighting tensions between a growing Christian population and the atheist Communist Party uh, in control. The church had been built with nearly $3 million in contributions um, from some of China's poorest regions. So they had gathered and pooled their resources together. They had built this church as a large church, a few thousand people uh, attending the church, and it had been in existence. And the next thing you know, uh, one week they come and all of a sudden bulldozers are there and they just literally bulldoze the place, blew it up, bulldoze it to the ground, and their church was gone. And so the persecution of Christians is something that we see uh, currently worldwide, even though we live in the safest place that we could possibly live. In that, there's something that we can read from Scripture about this, because there was churches who were persecuted, there's lives that were at stake, and yet they continued to follow Jesus. So let's look in the book of First Thessalonians. If you get your Bibles out this morning, uh, we have the Bibles in front of you there in the pew in front of you. I'll be in the New International Version. Parents, will you help your kids find their way to 1 Thessalonians? 1 Thessalonians. Uh, we're going to start actually in chapter 1 uh, today, even though the message will be coming from chapter 2. Uh, this letter is written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, he writes it to uh, the, church, the church at Thessalonica. Kids, is that a weird name? Thessalonica. Say it back to me. Thessalonica. Is that weird? Okay, say this one with me. Chiktawaga. <laughs> Tonawanda. Lackawanna. Thessalonica. All right, so it's just a town, uh, but the church at Thessalonica, and so there we get the Thessalonians who live there at that church. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, says this. We always thank God for you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, that's what they called each other there in the church, loved by God, he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And the Apostle Paul had written this letter to people that he had visited just for a few weeks. Uh, he was there in the city of Thessalonica for almost a month maybe, but about three to four weeks was really all he was there. So when he says that we came and we lived among you for your sake, he shared the gospel with them. But then he was persecuted and pushed out, thrown into jail. Uh, and even the people who uh, followed him, they were thrown into jail and had to post bond just to get out of jail for, for doing what we talk about, and that is sharing the gospel. Verse 7. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia 
and Achai. Now, kids who are in the service this morning, and when I say kids, I mean normally you would go to kids programming during this time. So adults, take it easy, okay? I'm going to ask some questions and I want them to answer, okay? So kids that are with us, uh, if you know the answer to the questions I'm going to ask today, you're going to jump to your feet and I'll call on you and you'll, with great gusto, uh, talk and let us all know what the answer is, okay? So, uh, and you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. What does the word model mean? Go ahead. Someone who shows other people what to do. Good. Someone else. What is a model? In the back. You're going to have to talk loud. Someone who would lead the people, right? Is that what you said? Yep, a model. Anyone else? Model, yes. Someone that you would look up to or watch. Good. Uh, I'm using model this morning to use, does anyone know what the word illustration means or an example or, right? That's that's what we're going to talk about as a model this morning. Now this morning I'm going to use this illustration, this model this morning of this over here on my left, your right. What is this in front of me? A bicycle. Is anyone familiar with this bicycle? Whose last name is Lamb? This was his bicycle. Uh, it used to be uh, a purple bike, and then it got uh, improved uh, to a green bike uh, because he didn't want to ride his sister's bike. Does everyone understand that, right? And, and, uh, and so just as an, as an aside, uh, if you are looking for a bicycle for your kids, uh, don't go out and spend a lot of money on a bike. Um, every single month, it seems like, I pick a bicycle out of the trash or something like that, and I personally am making money off of the rest of the world and selling bicycles for $15 or $20 on Craigslist, that type of thing, and I personally purchase bikes for $15 or $20 on Craigslist. Stop spending money on bicycles. Anyway. <laughs> So this is, this fine specimen we have here is a model. I'm going to use it this morning as an illustration to be able to demonstrate uh, some of the truths of Scripture. Uh, the Apostle Paul is saying here that this church at Thessalonica became what? A model. So it was an illustration to all the other churches in the area of Macedonia and Achaia. So those are the bigger areas. So that would be Williamsville, Amherst, Buffalo, New York State. It became an illustration, a model of the gospel of Christ. And so when we talk about this, these people were living out their faith in a way. It said they were being persecuted. They were being thrown into jail. They were doing all of these things, and yet they became this model for what it looked like to become a Christ follower, to pursue hard after Christ. Pursuing Christ with your own life is as easy as riding a bike. Actually, the illustration is usually it's as easy as what, adults? Falling off of a bike. Um, I don't know why they would say that necessarily. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, is riding a bike easy? No, the kids say no. I'd like to show you a, a short video about what it means to learn how to ride a bike.
camera and say I did it. <laughs> so some of you who have the spiritual gift of mercy, that was just absolute torture for you. For the rest of us, it was amazing, okay? So I'm going to talk this morning and use this as a model, illustration. We're going to do a few things this morning. So if you've got that white sheet of paper with you today that came in your bulletin, I'm going to do some fill-ins for you. Uh, I want to talk through and give you some illustrations to be able to go through this, all right? So when we begin here, we're going to talk through the three B's of cycling, okay? We're going to talk about three B's of a cyclist. So first, uh, the first B of a cyclist is this. It's a fill-in for you this morning is what? Balance. Uh, you're going to need balance if you're going to ride a bike. It's awful difficult to ride a bike if you cannot balance. Secondly, your second B is this. Braking. You need to be able to slow down. Some of you are looking at it like you've never seen that word before, but you should be able to slow down on a bicycle. That's the second one. And then the third one, I just say braking, doesn't it? Yeah, okay, making sure. And then the third B is this one. It takes a little bit of bravery. So these are the three B's of cycling. And then I'm going to come over here and we're going to talk about uh, the three B's of a Christ follower. Okay? The three B's of a Christ follower. First, uh, that a person would believe. Saying this, and I didn't give you all the definitions there. I know that there, but, but uh, believe would say, or behave, excuse me, I submit myself to the Bible. I submit myself to the Bible. Secondly, is this one. Believe. I believe in Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, so I want you to know these are the definitions I'm working with and I use these words today. Thirdly, this is my church. I belong. Okay? So we've got these words uh, kind of building where we're going this morning. Balance. I forgot to give you the definitions on these. Balance. I maintain a stable and an upright position, meaning I'm riding the bike. If I'm riding the bike, I'm going to need to balance. I need to stay up on two uh, wheels. Uh, braking, I safely reduce speed or I come to a complete stop. That's what I mean when I talk about braking. Braking doesn't always mean you stop and get off the bike, uh, but it means you're able to slow down, able to stop. Uh, bravery, I confidently pick a line and I go after it. Uh, riding a bicycle, you can tell a kid who's afraid and if, if he's looking down at the front wheel, uh, he's never going to be able to go forward because he's not able to look at where he's going. And even as a cyclist gets more and more advanced, uh, really at the end of the day, it's all about picking a line and being able to go after it. Uh, and then I submit myself to the Bible. I believe in Jesus. And then thirdly, this is my church family. So these are the definitions that I'm working with this morning when talking about these two uh, models of, uh, of biking and then a Christ follower. So let's talk first about an ineffective, this is your first fill-in, the ineffective model. Kids, when I say ineffective, what do I mean by that? Jump to your feet if you know what ineffective means. Ineffective. You got to stand to your feet though. It was the right answer. Jump, jump up. Not being helpful. Yeah, not being effective. Excellent. All right. So uh, if it's an ineffective model, here's what happens uh, when you're biking. If it's an ineffective model, what happens first is you try to start by braking. And then uh, you are super brave 
and uh, you expect that you're going to be able to balance a bike. Most kids, when they start on the bike, they've started with training wheels or they're on a tricycle or something like that, and they are able to stand on the brakes or balance the bike like that because they've got training wheels on it. And the first thing they do when they get on a bike is they stand on the bike the same way they always have, and by standing on the brakes, they cannot balance the bike. It is an ineffective approach. Do you agree? Kids who know how to bike, ride a bike, would you agree with me? Is this an ineffective approach? If you, as long as you're standing on the brakes, are you riding a bike? No, you're not going anywhere. You're, you're standing, right? And what happens when you're riding a bike, and if it's super ineffective, if you are standing on the brakes, holding on the brakes, uh, and trying to balance a bike, it is nearly impossible to do. No matter how much courage or bravery you have, that I'm going to go out and ride a bike today, and you're standing on the brakes, it's pretty ineffective. So if I come over here and I make the connection uh, to the local church, uh, here's what you will see. An ineffective church looks like this. First, uh, we say that we believe, uh, and then second, we say that we will behave, and third, we say uh, we belong. What do I mean by that? Uh, if we have this approach, we say, first, we want to make sure that people believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God before we allow them to do anything else in the church. And in doing so, we, we, we think that if they have uh, their belief system down, then they will act right and do the things that we expect of them to do or behave in the way that we expect them to behave, and then they can be part of our club, of our society, of our local church. And you'll find that this is an ineffective model. Jesus talks about this when he meets with a woman or sees the woman with an alabaster jar. Kids, do you know the story of the woman with an alabaster jar? What is an alabaster jar? Parents is coming to you in just a second. Some of you don't know. Kids, anyone know what an alabaster jar is? Yeah, go ahead. A jar that has spices in it, has some oils, perfumes, it's like a, a bottle of perfume. And so in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus, he, uh, he was in Bethany, it says, I'll read this to you. It says, Jesus was in Bethany, he's in the house of Simon, and a woman came up to him, an alabaster flask or jar, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. Now, this would not happen in our culture today whatsoever. But why in that culture, does anyone know, why in that culture would someone pour oil over another person's head? Yeah. To honor them. Yeah, very good. What's another reason? Yeah, go ahead. They smell bad. Yes, we want to make them smell better. I like that. Any other ideas? Does anyone remember the story of King David before he was king, when he was selected from the rest of his family? What happened uh, in that process? They anointed him. They poured oil over his head. It was a, an honor to say this was going to be the king. And so this woman, she takes an alabaster jar, this ointment, and she pours it over the head of Jesus. What is she symbolizing? What is it a model of? That he would be the king. That he would be the Messiah. She poured this very expensive ointment over his head. She poured it on his head while he was there at the table. Now, I don't know whether he was just eating dinner at the table and she ran up behind him and dumped it over his head as a sneak attack or something. I don't know how that happened. 
But his disciples saw it, and they were upset. They were indignant, and they said, why this waste? This could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. So what happens is in this ineffective model, all they saw was the behavior of this woman. And they said, well, she's not one of us. She's not part of our club. She's not part of our society. And so uh, she can't belong here. She doesn't believe the same things that we believe. But even though she's doing this grand gesture, it is a waste. And they try to push her away. And that's a very ineffective way. It's a very ineffective way to follow Christ. It's a very ineffective church uh, that has this type of mindset to say uh, you have to believe everything that we believe you have to behave and act and watch the same movies that we watch or listen to the same music that we listen to do all of those things and then you can be in our club Uh, Jesus says this is unsatisfactory so that's the ineffective model secondly we have the excessive model the excessive model So I come back here to my illustration or my model here with the bicycle. In the excessive model, here's what happens. Uh, We put bravery number one, and we put uh, braking and balance, uh, I think at the end here, I want to make sure I got these in the right order, bravery number one, uh, number two, uh, balance, and number three, braking. So what happens with this person is they get on the bike. Uh, they are super brave, they are bold, they are courageous, uh, they've learned a little bit about balancing the bicycle, and so they decide to take off down the side of the mountain, right? Have you seen kids like this? Uh, certainly on the ski slopes, that's a different illustration, but I've seen this on the ski slopes where a kid just starts at the, at the top and they just gun it, they go for it. And what do you expect to see with a person like that on the ski slopes or a person like that on a bicycle uh, after you catch up with them in a little while? What do you anticipate you're going to see? You're going to see pieces and parts of what was left of the bicycle all over the place. This is an excessive uh, way to go about things. And the same thing is true in the church. An excessive model in the church says this. uh, If we uh, put this one first, we put behaviors first. And then we put belief second, and then belonging third. What ends up happening is the person uh, gets all of their behaviors right, and then they don't even have to believe. If they get all their behaviors right, they don't even have to believe, and they still are able to be part of the church and belong to the church. And they can get all of the attitudes and behaviors, and they do, do all of those things correct, and they miss Jesus in the middle of it. Do you understand that? Because things are out of order, they're out of sequence. Just as foolish as it is to go down the side of a very steep hill and not have any idea how to break. My father always tells a story. When we were kids, we had a little uh, 50cc four-wheeler that uh, we were able to ride around the farm. And so it was, it was my cousin's, and we rode it around, rode it around, and it probably went you know, 13 miles an hour, but we went for all we were worth. And he tells a story about uh, my cousin racing around, and he, he pulled him aside, and he says, listen, um, do you know how to ride this thing? You know, like, are, you, are you being careful? And he said, uh, show me where the brakes are on it. And he goes, oh, oh, this doesn't have any brakes. Oh, it clearly has brakes. But he had no idea, no concept of how to use them. It would be just a matter of time before he got hurt. 
And the same thing happens in the excessive church. And a lot of times we would, uh, more specifically, we would call this church the legalistic church or the pharisaical church where these excessive boundaries are said, you behave in the correct ways and all of a sudden this legalistic church misses Jesus in the middle of it. Jesus sees this also in the New Testament. We see him, he declares woes on the teachers of the law in Matthew chapter 23. Kids, what does, if I say I declare a woe on you, have you ever heard that before? What do I mean if I declare a woe, W-O-E? Tricky one. Parents, help us out. If I'm declaring a woe on you, what am I saying? Same blank stare. Oh, wait, wait. Yeah, stop. Danger ahead. Warning. When you're going down the road, there's, there's this triangle signs. Warning. Yield. Whoa. It's almost the same as the other one. Verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Hip, or you don't know what verse I'm in. This is in Matthew chapter 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside is full of greed and self-indulgence. Uh, we're doing a building project at our house, and so there's a lot of times where there's dust and, and all kinds of pieces and parts flying around, and we're working, and, and there was a day that we were working, and we accidentally left a coffee cup sitting in the middle of the work site. And so if you had come over for dinner that night, and uh, I asked if I could serve you a cup of coffee, and I cleaned off all the outside of that cup, and then I put the cup in front of you and asked you to have a cup of coffee, do you think that you might be a little bit disconcerned with what might be pieces of asbestos floating around in your coffee cup? Some of you are like, yeah, that's fine, no big deal. He's saying, look at you Pharisees, first you, you need to clean the inside of the cup. Worry about the outside of the cup later. So you've got the outside polished, but the inside is filled with filth. A woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like a whitewashed tomb. What's a tomb, kids? A tomb. A grave. Yeah, a cemetery. Good. Uh, whitewashed tombs which appear outwardly beautiful. Have you ever been to a cemetery? There's some pretty beautiful gravestones, pretty neat stuff going on. What's on the inside of that grave? What's on the inside? A dead body. It's pretty dead. It's entirely dead. It's decomposing. It is nasty. And he says, what you're doing here by this excessive treatment of behaviors and missing beliefs and missing uh, how, how all of this comes together and assuming that, that that belonging to the church is so important and in doing that uh, it is just like having an open grave in the middle of your midst. How disgusting that would be. That is an excessive model. Thirdly, we see what we want to talk about this morning, the irresistible model. The irresistible model. Kids, what do I mean by the word irresistible? Irresistible. I'll give you an example, maybe you know. So, uh, we go most springs, maybe some of you went this last month uh, to some of the different uh, maple syrup shacks and things around the area where you can go and you have pancakes and maple syrup. Does anyone do that? Raise your hand if you did that this year. 
There's a few of you, okay. And so we like to do that every year. There's a journey that we kind of go on. We go back to kind of my heritage, our homeland, that type of thing. And we have maple syrup and pancakes. And we have a video a few years ago, uh, one of the first times that we went there, our oldest two, Delia and Hazel, uh, they're eating the pancakes. And we got this video of them eating the pancakes. And those two, those two kids are just shoveling the pancakes in one after another. And we asked Delia, what is going on with these pancakes? And she said, I don't know. They're just so good. I just can't stop eating them. And maple syrup was just like more than her whole body had ever experienced before. And she just consumed it. It's irresistible. She just, she didn't know what was going on, but she was going to eat all of those pancakes one after another after another. And I'm not too far from that when I go there either. This irresistible model. So on a bicycle, what I think is an irresistible model is this. When you've got balance and you're able to brake your bike, you can be brave when it comes down to it. This is the irresistible model on a bicycle. When you're in control of a bicycle, there is nothing like it. When you're in control of a bicycle, it is like the most amazing thing to be out there in all of the elements. Uh, there is really nothing that can stop you. And if you've paid any attention to cycling across, there, there are people who are riding their bikes across the country. Uh, there are people who ride their bikes across glaciers. Uh, there are people who ride their bikes in any condition, anywhere, anytime, any place. do all kinds of absolutely crazy things things. There are people who would be able to come in here, ride their bike down the aisle, and literally, no joke to you, they would be able to hop their bike on the back of these pews, one bike or one pew to the next, and just walk, just go right on down through, right across the pews and out the door as if nothing could slow them down, nothing could stop them. They are, it's incredible, but first, they have to understand what the balance of the bike is, they have to understand how to brake a bike and control a bike, and bravery comes along with it. In a similar situation, over here in the local church, what we see is that when people belong, when people belong and people believe, the church is irresistible and the behaviors are unstoppable. What ends up happening is you see a church like we see uh, here in the New Testament, a church that is just willing uh, to do anything and everything they possibly could imagine for the sake of the gospel. Uh, in Jesus' life, he meets Matthew, the tax collector. Kids, do people like tax collectors? No. Adults, do people like tax collectors? No. Wally shakes his head at me. That's all right. Adults, kids, do people like tax collectors? No. As Jesus passed on from there, he was leaving in one city, he came to a man called Matthew sitting in a tax booth and he told him, he said, follow me. And immediately he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, he told many, there was many tax collectors and sinners that all came and they sat and reclined with Jesus and his disciples. When those Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with these tax collectors and sinners? When he heard, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And then he has the audacity to tell those leaders to go and learn what this means. When he said that to them, they were the most educated people in all of the area. And he had the audacity to look them in the eye and say, hey, why don't you go figure this one out? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I came to call the right, not the righteous, but the sinners. And so what Jesus is telling people when he is talking with Matthew the physician, when he is having this dinner with them, when he's inviting people into his home and interacting with those who are far from him, uh, he is saying the sick are the ones who need a physician. 
The sick are the ones who need a physician. It's as foolish as saying, I'm going to make sure that I stop coughing before I go to the doctor. Doesn't make any sense. Or I'm going to get the house cleaned up really good before we pay to have a maid service come in and work in the house. Does that make any sense? I need to get my belly full and then I'll go to the grocery store and buy some groceries. That one makes sense to you? That illustration broke down. Anyway, we'll move forward. Did I say it backwards or something or you just wanted a belly full? Never go hungry into a grocery store. I got you. Restaurant, that'll work. The church at Thessalonica. Come back with me, people. I got all of you at the grocery store in your minds. You're going down the aisles. You're like, aisle seven on the left-hand side. That's the ticket. The church at Thessalonica. Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, Paul went and spent his time with people who didn't know the gospel already. He went and he, he allowed himself to belong in their circles. We talk about this often when we talk about as a church, we want to be present in people's lives. I was talking with a, a gentleman earlier who, who was invited to go and, with his neighbors to a pub crawl. He said, listen, that's not my thing, but he went and he built some relationships with his neighbors. I was invited the other night uh, to go to a bar with some of my neighbors uh, for the draft. And, and, and just being invited to go to those situations mean that you start to understand uh, the context what Jesus was in. He was with tax collectors. He was with sinners. But you can go into those situations and you can be a light in a dark place if you're willing to do so. The word of God which is indeed at work in you who believe. There it is. For you, brothers and sisters, you became imitators of God's churches in Judea. What, what does imitator mean, kids? If I imitate someone. Yeah, go ahead. You copy them, yeah, for sure. Uh, if you imitate someone. As you became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus, you suffered. So that means I imitated them, but I also suffered just like them from your own people saying the same things. Those churches were suffering from the Jews. I'm imitating them. They did this. They killed the Lord Jesus Christ and his prophets and they drove us out. They displeased God and they are hostile to everyone. Does this sound like what I'm talking about the church should be? And their efforts to keep us from speaking in the Gentiles so they might be saved. In this way, they've heaped up their sins all the way to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. God is going to deal with these people. But he said, but you, you have imitated Christ. And so if pursuing Christ is as easy as falling off a bike, pursuing Christ is as easy as riding a bike, then we have to understand as a church and as a people and in our relationships, we need to do some things uh, that keep us from making things more difficult than they need to be. And so I'll quickly move through this illustration. Some of you dads are going to play more closely attention uh, than others. Uh, uh, kids always wear a helmet when you ride a bike. Okay, it's the law. Don't get hurt. There you go. So this is a bicycle. Everyone see this bicycle? Uh, if you are teaching your kids how to ride a bike, uh, you should definitely, so, so I'll say this first. I didn't mean to like 
swing this at you. Um, kids can learn how to ride a bike, in my opinion, in about an hour. And we've seen it happen multiple times. It happened last spring. We had literally four kids on our block in front of our house all learn how to ride a bike and, and ride away down the street. It was a beautiful thing. Anyway, here we go. So you need to take off the training wheels off the bike. If you don't take off the training wheels on the bike, is the kid going to learn how to ride a bike? No. This is my son Elias's bike. He's four years old. This year, he's going to learn how to ride this bike. He doesn't know it yet, but we're going to take these training wheels off his bike. And theoretically, I'll do it for you here on the stage as well, if this thing would come off. Okay. It's not going to come off. Imagine the training wheels off the bike with me. The other thing that I do when I'm teaching kids how to ride a bike is this. We take off the pedals off of a bike. Most people don't do this, and I think this is the difference between someone figuring out how to ride a bike and not figuring out how to ride a bike. If you're interested, gentlemen, pay attention. This is a 5 uh, uh wrench that you need. Uh, on the left-hand side of the bike... You have to be careful because they are reverse threaded on the left-hand side of the bike. So if you assume that you're going to take off that, that pedal and you crank on it the wrong way all day long, I don't care how big your muscles are, it is not coming off, okay? So you have to turn it in a reverse direction uh, than you normally would think that. And so you take uh, the pedal off the bike, you take it all the way off the bike, just like so. I'll go here, it should probably take one, let's see, two, three... The hard part is when you put it back on to not assume that you've got the pedals correctly. Take the pedals off the bike. So we've taken the training wheel off the bike, got the pedals off the bike, and if you look closely on this pedal, it has an L, so when you put it back together, you put it on the correct side of the bike. Sit on the bike and imagine yourself in the left side, uh, ask your wife which side is your left and which side is your right when you put the things back together. So we've got um, our, our parts of the bike are off, we've got the training wheels off the bike, we've taken the pedals off the bike, uh, you lower the seat all the way down as far as you can possibly go uh, so that the kids' feet are definitely flat on the ground on, on their bike. And then what you do is you go out in your neighborhood and you find a small hill, grassy hill. You do not go down the street uh, and run next to your bike and try to push the kid down the street because we could show you a whole other YouTube video clip of all the times that dads run next to the bike, they trip and fall and they push the kid over into the grass and they don't ever want to ride a bicycle again. Okay, so you take off the training wheels, you take off the pedals, you take them to the top of this little hill, and you ask them to just roll down the hill. First, they skid with their feet down the hill, all the way down the hill. And once they do that, uh, after they've done that for a little bit of a while, they get, guess what? They've figured out is how to balance the bicycle. And so they just roll down the hill. And you do that on a small hill so that they don't have to actually propel themselves forward. All they're doing is just coasting down this little grassy hill. Second, uh, you come back and you put your pedals back on the bike. And you ask them to just roll down the hill and then can they bring the bike to a stop? Are they able to slow the bike down and stop the bike? So at this point, you've been going down the hill, you're giving them a lot of cookies because they're doing things, you treat them like a puppy generally, and it does the same effect. Uh, and so you make sure they're having a good time, uh, they're going down the hill, they're rolling down the hill, they're pedaling uh, is not something that they're doing it, they're just able to slow down and stop. And then the third, uh, they start to get more brave, you tell them as they roll down the hill, start to pedal, start to pedal start to pedal and they'll find that they can roll down the hill and they'll just pedal on and they'll keep going. But now they know how to balance a bike and they know how to stop a bike. And the next thing you know, you can start them off. Now you can go next to them and stand at the end of their sidewalk and just give them a pat on the butt to get them started and they'll roll down the street and they'll be able to ride a bike. 
And so, in the same way, pursuing Christ is just as easy. You have to have the mindset, the understanding that there's a process that comes through, that it needs to be that simple. And we need to allow people to be able to coast down the hill a little bit, to be able to understand that if they're going to understand who Jesus Christ is, they're going to need to be close enough to people who love Jesus Christ with their whole lives. And that ought to be you and me. The person next to you on your right and on your left ought to be the brightest shining light of Jesus Christ of anyone in their circle. You ought to be the brightest shining light of Jesus Christ of anyone in your circle of influence. And by being a person who allows someone to be around, to be in your world with you, you will find that you can demonstrate for them and help them to believe in Jesus. And by doing so, there is no thing that is going to stop a Christ follower. And I found that to be the case with a simple thing as simple as a bicycle. Once a kid knows how to ride a bicycle, once an adult knows how to ride a bicycle and they're confident with it, there's nothing that they're not willing to try at least once and give it a shot. And so in that, uh, using this morning that illustration, we're going to transition to a time of communion. Uh, because what communion is, is a model as well that Jesus modeled for us. And so, uh, as we come into this time, I want you to know, parents, uh, to be able to walk through some of these steps with your kids, uh, to be able to understand that they need to be able to see you demonstrate what it means uh, to, to live a life that demonstrates forgiveness, to live a life that demonstrates uh, loving one another, that demonstrates a life that is lived out uh, for Christ. So, uh, communion attendees, if you'll come forward and help me out here uh, this morning, uh, we learn about Jesus at the Last Supper. He demonstrates, he said, this meal, uh, which we're going to have regularly and often, he says to his people, he said, this meal is going to be a model, just like this bicycle illustration was a model this morning. Uh, this meal was going to be a model for what he was going to do on the cross.